1: Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Teboldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, today, as part of our special series, spotlight on metastatic breast cancer. We're going to talk about deciding on a course of treatment when you are first diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or when it is time for a new or different treatment. Metastatic breast cancer is an advanced form of breast cancer in which the cancer has metastasized or spread to other parts of the body for which there is currently no cure. But, and this is important, thanks to better and more targeted treatment options, women are living longer than ever with metastatic breast cancer with a notable percentage living five years or more some for even 10 years or longer so how do you decide which treatment plan is the best match for your priorities and your preferences. And how do you communicate your goals for treatment with your medical team? We have some wonderful guests with us today who are going to share their experiences and insights to help you do just that. Today, we're joined by Lily Shockney, the Administrative Director of the Johns Hopkins Breast Center. But first, we're going to meet Gabby Cusco, who has been living with metastatic breast cancer for over four years. Gabby has called Kansas City home for 23 years, living there with her husband, Bruce, and raising their two sons, now 28 and 24. She's been a safety inspector in research, in in research industry and the nonprofit sectors. Gary returned to grad school to become a high school science teacher and worked as an educator until her diagnosis in November of 2014. Since treatment, a double mastectomy and reconstruction, she volunteers, organizes events, and helps advocate for others living with cancer. She hopes to hopes to reenter the workplace after two years of being tumor free. Gabby looks forward to seeing grandchildren one day and watching her husband retire in 2020. Thanks for being with us today, Gabby. Thank you. So Gabby, let's, let's do a little history here. Um, you had been going for annual mammograms, but it was actually a self-exam that led to the testing that confirmed a diagnosis of a metastatic breast cancer. Can you walk our listeners through what happened there?
2: Well, I I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to. I was going for my um, annual mammograms, and each time it was very frustrating because um, I have extremely dense breast tissue, and they couldn't really read the screens. It just looked like the the films just looked like snow, um, and. So, they would typically repeat the uh, scans, the mammograms, and just kind of send me on my way and nobody seemed to really, it was just sort of like I was going through the motion, but I wasn't really getting any assurance that it was, it was effective. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, nurse practitioner would give me annual digital exams where she would manually try to feel for any unusual lumps but my breasts were extremely large and extremely lumpy so i decided i needed to be doing regular visual checks on my breasts and uh to try to map it out as best i could and it was a visual check where i did see a change in the shape of my breast
1: Mm. Mm.
2: and then that led you back to the doctor right I actually on my lower left quadrant um, I, when I raised my arms up I could actually feel like I could see a dimpling where the the, the skin was actually somewhat pulling in hmm. and and then um, they sent me to uh, get another uh, mammogram which, of course, didn't show anything, and then sent me a couple steps down the hall for a sonogram, and boom, they found a giant tumor. It was the size of a AA
1: battery. Mm. Wow, wow. So, Gabby, I know that a lot of patients feel very overwhelmed with the amount of information they need to get and, and process when they're diagnosed with cancer. How did you approach learning about your cancer? Where did you start?
2: Um, well, you know, I'd, I'd always tried to understand what my friends and family members who were going through various cancers and what their treatments were uh, and listening. And I have a scientific background, so a lot of the terms and stuff kind of stuck in my mind. Um, But I wasn't familiar with metastatic breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And so the research that I got off the internet at that time, about four years ago, um, it was... Not a happy report on um, the longevity of people with stage four cancer. And um, uh, I went to um, a resource that uh, the University of Kansas hospitals have um, called Turning Point and got some information from them and eventually found um, myself at Gilda's Club, where I found some of the best information
1: on metastatic breast cancer. Mm. Wow. I know that a social worker at, at, at that Gildas Club, um, or one of our support centers in Kansas City, where you were getting emotional support while in treatment, recommended that you meet with a treatment decision counselor. I know we have a program called Open to Options that helps with decision making. So, did going through that program help to kind of reduce your anxiety, give you more control? I mean, what was the benefit to you of going through that Open to Options program?
2: Well, um, I. One of those people that kind of suffers from white coat syndrome. So I'm always intimidated in the presence of my doctors. Um, Don't always find the words that I really want to speak to them or they speak to me and I don't feel like I'm completely understanding or uh, retaining the important part of what they're saying to me. So, um, this program, when I heard about Open to Options, I knew that it was something that I needed. I just needed to become my own advocate. Um, I had had a couple of nurse advocates uh, through my insurance company, but they kept changing, and there wasn't consistency, and then the program got dropped. So, I was kind of confused about, you know, who was going to guide me through this process, and I came to realize it was going to be
1: me. yeah. Yeah, and that's really a lot of what we do at the Cancer Support Community is to teach folks to be their own best advocate and sort of be a part of the team to help folks find the information um, and the tools and the resources that they need to kind of, uh, you know, navigate through the, uh, you know, through the cancer journey. Um, But Gabby, tell us, what did you learn from your work with the counselor? How did you use the knowledge the skills in communicating with your medical team. Do you still use those skills? I mean, was it a, a really a skills building exercise for you? Oh, absolutely. Because
2: I have an appointment, a follow up appointment uh, tomorrow with my oncologist, mm-hmm. and I actually write down the questions that I have because I've had time to receive the results of a recent scan and to look at my blood work results, and so I can go in there and specifically focus on my needs what do I think I need to know Um, and not just sit there passively and be the receiver of information I also want to return to the workplace and I want to see the reaction of my oncologist when I say I want to go back to work full-time you know and he knows what
1: my health situation is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you're preparing for that conversation now
2: I am. And I also wanted to say that when I uh, sat with the, the social worker who was very experienced in helping cancer uh, patients in open to options, I was able to purge myself of mm-hmm. all the questions. And it was very cathartic. There were a lot of tears. And with the help of the counselor, I was able to prioritize and categorize the questions for the oncologist and for the surgeon. Because at the time that I met with them, I was working with a a breast surgeon. I was about to have my mastectomy, and um, I had requested a double mastectomy because of um, problems I had had with neck and arm pain as a result of having very large breasts. And um, she scheduled me for a single, Mm. so she wasn't really hearing me and listening Mm -hmm. to me. So I had to, we had to cancel that surgery. I had to go back to her and tell her, no, I really did ask for a double, and we had to reschedule it. And I think that my finding my way to open it, uh, open to options actually helped me advocate for the surgery that I wanted.
1: Wow, that's amazing, you know, just getting those skills that you can carry kind of through the whole cancer experience. Um, You know, Gabby, and you told us that that meeting with the treatment decision counselor was one part of what you did and continue to do in order to make the best decisions for you and your loved ones. But can you tell us about some of the other actions that you've taken that have helped you through this?
2: Well, I did join a um, living with cancer support group at uh, the, our local clubhouse in Kansas City, Missouri, and I had tried at another um, uh, support facility to meet with people, but for some reason, I just felt um, that the, the setting, which was almost like sitting in somebody's living room, was very yeah. relaxed, and... Um, The setting and the fact that the group leader, the facilitator was really very generous in terms of just letting us get to know each other and spend time talking about each week what our situation was, welcoming new people into the group and just sort of bonding. I felt like I found my tribe, if I can use that word, like I found the people who really could kind of relate to what i was going
1: through and i just found that extremely helpful Mm, that's really very uplifting um we've only got a couple quick minutes until our break here gabby but can you can you just let us know if we've got folks listening today maybe they've just been diagnosed with with metastatic breast cancer um final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners tips advice that you'd like to share before we uh end this uh, segment yeah Well, I've heard this term, uh,
2: to find your new normal, because I'm on the um, uh, two different types of estrogen blockers, and one of them, uh, they even use in their commercial, you know, you've got to find your new normal. I had no idea what that meant. But now, after taking these meds for about three years, I realize that it's how do I manage my hot flashes? How do I manage getting repeated UTIs? What do I do to relieve joint pain? What do I do to reduce my risk of infection? What do I do to reduce the um, osteoporosis that comes with taking um, estrogen blockers? And what do I do to alleviate myself from fatigue? So those are now I know what my new normal is. I've got, I've got tools now, from, some from trial and error, some from reading and research, Yep. To deal with these things.
1: That's great. That's really, really helpful. Uh, we've been talking to Gabby Cusco. She's uh, living with metastatic breast cancer, has been living with metastatic breast cancer for over four uh, years, has participated in Uh, some of our programs at the Cancer Support Community, including a program called Open to Options, which is really uh, focused on helping patients with uh, treatment, decision-making, and the process of making many, many decisions that patients make um, throughout their cancer journey. Uh, We just want to thank you, Gabby, for being on the show today, for sharing uh, your own story with our listeners, and um, we want to wish you the best, and we hope you'll come and give us some updates soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Lily Shockney from the Johns Hopkins Breast
3: Center. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24 7.
4: At Lily Oncology, we know people living with metastatic breast cancer or mbc deserve more more can be done for the mothers daughters sisters wives and partners facing the unique challenges of this advanced disease and every moment counts while there has been progress made over the last few years in distinguishing mbc and bringing forward new treatment options there is still more to be done to truly support the women and men living with this disease every day so they can continue to be there for family and friends. Lilly Oncology is focused on raising more awareness through education, more research, and more dedicated solutions to help empower people living with this disease because together we know we can do more for MBC. This content is selected by the cancer support community and is funded in part by Eli Lilly and Company.
5: Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit mealtrain.com/mmt and enter the code Magnolia B, or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Or call 617-733-5848.
0: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Become our friend on
3: Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice america.
1: Today we're talking about making treatment decisions when facing a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. We're now joined by Lily Shockney. When you hear about her personal and professional accomplishments, I think you'll agree that we couldn't have picked a better guide for this conversation. Lily is the Administrative Director of the Johns Hopkins Breast Center and a two-time breast cancer survivor. She's a registered nurse with a Bachelor of Science in Health Administration from St. Joseph's College in New York and a Master of Administrative Science from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Lily is an active clinical researcher with a focus on quality of life issues for survivors, as well as a strong advocate for patients with stage four breast cancer. She has received 46 national and six state awards, including being chosen by Johnson and Johnson as the most amazing nurse in America. In 2008, the Johns Hopkins Board of Trustees appointed appointed Lily to a physician chair as a University Distinguished Service Assistant Professor of Breast Cancer. It was the first time in the history of the institution that a hospital nurse has been appointed to a distinguished service designation. Since then, Lily has become a full professor of surgery and oncology in the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Welcome to the show, Lily. Thank you very much, Kim. Before we jump into the process of making treatment decisions, Lily, I'd like to talk about the mindset in which these decisions are likely being made. There are other decisions that people make in their lives uh, that may have a steep learning curve in buying a house, maybe applying for a first mortgage. And even though that process is difficult, complex, overwhelming, it doesn't happen under the stress and anxiety of a life-threatening and life-changing diagnosis. So, so Lily, what do you usually tell people? who are just being diagnosed with cancer, particularly with metastatic cancer?
6: So first I tell them to breathe uh, because it is Mm -hmm. overwhelming. They're in a state of shock. They automatically go to the dark side and are wondering immediately, how long am I going to live? I want to make sure that the patient and their family does understand the difference between uh, an earlier stage breast cancer and stage four breast cancer from a treatment perspective, that we're not looking at the ability to cure, but we do have ways in which we can treat this as a chronic disease like diabetes, heart disease, et cetera, and our goal is to get it into control and have her body and her mind live in harmony with the disease. And to not go surfing on the Internet looking at every single website that has something to do with breast cancer or metastatic breast cancer because they will drown in it, and they don't know which sites have credible information versus mm. inaccurate information. Uh, so connecting up uh, with a, uh, an oncology specialist who can review with them, uh, these are the sites that we think are appropriate to visit. Uh, don't waste your time on these others and uh, can begin the conversation of explaining uh, with the patient, this is your particular stage 4 breast cancer, because no two are exactly the same. um, Yes. And, and of course, she needs to know what her situation is. It really doesn't matter what anyone else's is.
3: Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So, Lily, I know, you know, we talked about sort of the shock being diagnosed with cancer. And I know a lot of times people panic and they feel like they have to make a treatment decision immediately. They have to start. I want to start treatment tomorrow. We got to get going. Got to get this out. Um, How can someone find out how much time they have to learn about their cancer? Time for a second opinion. How how much time do I have to make a decision, get educated and make a decision and get started on on my care plan?
6: Yes. With the exception of women who have inflammatory breast cancer, which uh, starts off as uh, stage 3 right, right out of the gate where the breast or, or part of the breast turns red. Um, that is a type of breast cancer, though rare, just 2% of, of individuals develop that kind. That does require more urgency in getting underway mm-hmm. with chemotherapy. But mm-hmm. specifically looking at, at stage 4 disease, believe it or not, the, the patient has several weeks to be mm-hmm. able to uh, get their ducks in a row, identify uh, the uh, cancer facility that they want to get their initial consultation in. Uh, they're also going to be having other tests done more than likely, blood tests and some additional scans. Uh, now that they know they have this disease, they can feel like their hair is on fire, but yeah.
1: this just didn't happen. This has been cooking along usually for several years. Mm-hmm, hmm hmm So take the time to really get educated and and, and and make some good decisions that are right for you. Um, I do want to take a moment, Lily, to talk about shared decision-making because this may be the, the first time a person is actually working with their doctor to determine the best treatment option for for them um you know it's a very different experience from the doctor saying okay you've got an ear infection here's your prescription come back if you don't feel well i mean there are lots of steps along the way so and 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 i know this is really a fairly new area in our cancer world but talk a little bit about what that means that shared decision making and priorities
6: I think it's very important that the patient actively participate in the decision-making about her treatment. And the majority of the time, there isn't just one treatment option. Today, there are quite a few. Um, In some cases, there literally are many. So we need to empower her with information uh, so that she can confidently participate in decision-making. One of the ways in which it can be very helpful also for the treatment team is to know her far more than just her pathology. You know, she had a life before she was diagnosed. Who is this person? What kind of work does she do? Is she married? Does she have children? What were the goals, her life goals that she was looking forward to in the future? Are some of these life goals still achievable um, Mm -hmm. based on the type of metastatic disease that, that she has? What are things that bring her joy? What is she most worried about? What is she hoping for? This provides information for the for the treatment team, but it also, uh, even more importantly, provides her a voice in letting that team know, I am part of my own treatment team. I need to be the one in charge. I need information so that I can actively participate, but she needs to be in the driver's seat as much as possible. We should be doing things with her rather than to her. Mm-hmm.
1: I think those those are that's good language, uh, Lily, I think for folks to grasp kind of the context of what we're what we're talking about here. Now, Lily, we know that women are, you know the good news is they're living longer than ever with with metastatic cancer. Um, but it's still metastatic breast cancer still remains an incurable disease. So with that in mind, knowing that the the goal of treatment is really not cure, what is the goal of of of, of treatment options? What are we looking to gain from from treatment?
6: What we're hoping to accomplish is to have her, obviously, live longer with good quality of life, and depending on the uh, prognostic factors of her particular uh, disease, some women are living several decades in harmony with their breast cancer. Other women may have a shorter uh, trajectory of time and may only, frankly, survive for a few months. Um, We need to uh, be very open and honest uh, with her, and not uh, imply something to her that in fact is not is not achievable, so that uh, whatever her remaining time, many years or a shorter period of time, is mm-hmm. spent on things that are of importance to her, and that we are preserving her quality
1: of life so that she can enjoy those things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I know, Lily, one of the challenges with metastatic breast cancer is there is a a steep learning curve, a little bit of an alphabet soup. Um, You know, uh, when women are learning about their breast cancer, we're talking about things like hormone receptor positive HER2, BRCA1, BRCA2, triple negative. There's a lot to understand and a lot to understand about treatment, chemotherapy, Uh, uh, surgery, hormone therapy, targeted therapy, and then all of these now biomarker tests that can help us learn more about the cancers. I know there's a lot there, Lily, but just take a minute or two to help our listeners prioritize the information about the disease so that they can start to put a good plan in place.
6: So to begin with, it will be important for her to know what are the specifics about her tumor type because uh, reading everything is just going to overwhelm her and take up time that will even cause her to lose sleep. Um, knowing specifically what are the features about her cancer so that she can just zero in and learn about those. So if it's uh, estrogen receptor positive, only read about estrogen receptor positive information and skip the estrogen receptor negative information because it doesn't apply to her. Um, for uh, her too, which is a... Uh, Another prognostic factor, a significant one, um, if it's positive, then we're going to be looking at treatments that are specific uh, for HER2-positive disease. If it's a negative, then we're going to totally skip the discussion about biologically targeted drugs. So zero in on the features of her tumor and only begin learning about those, that specific information so that hopefully it will not be as overwhelming. Um, It can be very helpful if she can sit down with a nurse navigator to uh, walk her through uh, what each of these prognostic factors and biomarkers mean and how each of these will influence what the treatment options are going to be uh, in the immediate as well as even in the distant future. Um, The the more that we understand from a science perspective about uh, all of the features of a tumor, the more opportunities they are to, uh, to be able to potentially even participate in clinical trials um, that, uh, that, that may give her a little bit of an edge um, on, uh, on getting to take something that uh, is part of clinical research. Uh, it's either as good as standard of care today, but it might even become the new standard of care in, in the future. So each of these biomarkers and prognostic factors, carry its own weight um, into whether it's good news or bad news and what we need to do about it in order to get this disease in control and have her uh, live in harmony with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Great, uh, great advice and a great uh, summary. Lily, we're going to take a a short commercial break here. Um, uh, We've got a lot more to talk about with Lily Shockney. Uh, She is the administrative director of the Johns Hopkins uh, Breast Center. She herself uh, is a two-time cancer survivor we are talking specifically today uh, about metastatic breast cancer about diagnosis about treatment about decision making about ensuring that the patient's preferences and priorities are put forth uh, in the conversation with the medical team this is frankly speaking about cancer i'm kim T. Waldo. we're going to take a quick break don't go away we'll be right back
3: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
4: At Lilly Oncology, we know people living with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, deserve more. There has been progress made over the last few years in bringing forward new treatment options, but there is still more to be done. Lilly Oncology is focused on raising more awareness through education, more research, and more dedicated solutions to help empower people living with this disease, because together we can do more for MBC. This content is selected by the Cancer Support Community and is funded in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals
5: at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, and over Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848.
0: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. support community.org that's cancer support community.org the cancer support community a global network of education and hope become our
3: friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
1: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Chiboldo, and today's episode is part of our special series, Spotlight on Metastatic Breast Cancer. Today, we're focusing on making the best treatment decisions possible when facing a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. We're extremely lucky to have with us Lily Shockney. Lily has been the administrative director of the Johns Hopkins Breast Center since 1997. She is also a two-time breast cancer survivor. She's a published author and a nationally recognized speaker on breast cancer, having written 15 books and more than 300 articles on the subject. She serves on the medical advisory boards of 34 national breast cancer organizations and is the co-founder and vice president of a national nonprofit organization called Mothers Supporting Daughters with Breast Cancer. Um, Lily, let's continue talking about communication because it really is uh, so essential. A lot of people are maybe nervous or they feel awkward about talking to their medical team about priorities and preferences um, for different reasons, their own priorities and preferences. Some folks are afraid that they're going to maybe seem pushy or maybe seem disrespectful Um, you know I'm just here with the doctor and they're just going to give me the best care plan and kind of what matters to me or what are the things I want to do in my life Um, maybe they feel like they don't really matter or that those aren't really priorities so how can maybe a patient overcome these feelings open up a good line of communication with their doctor and really understand that what matters to them is is what matters to the doctor at the end of the day and how that will guide the treatment plan
6: so Initially, she should, uh, first of all, write down what her talking points are going to be uh, Mm -hmm. before she even goes. Having um, a a script, in essence, to uh, uh, help her in, uh, in communicating this information. And the first thing that she needs to communicate to them is who is she? Um, The the treatment team knows her from her pathology, they know her from her scans, but that means that they only know her medically. Uh, They need to know that she's 40 years old, she's an elementary school teacher, that she's in the process of getting a divorce. She has a nine-year-old with autism, and uh, her mother is considering moving in with her now that her mother has found out that she has metastatic breast cancer and she doesn't want her mother moving in with them. Um, so that, mm-hmm. that's a, a key part of who, who she is. Second is in looking at you know what her priorities and, and preferences are, it's going to be tied to what are her goals of care. Um, some patients may say, well, I, I, I'm planning on a miracle, so I want you to create the miracle. We can hop on that wagon uh, and pray for a miracle, quite frankly, and I certainly do, and I do that with the patients that I see and take care of. Uh, however, we always have to have a backup plan. always have to have a plan B. So <clears throat> if we're not going to be able to be in that less than, far less than 1% of individuals, uh, then uh, what's going to be important to her while she is going through treatment? Part of that is going to be what her life goals are. Short-term goals as well as long-term goals. Um, a short-term goal may be that she wants to be here to see her uh, daughter graduate from high school and her daughter is going to graduate in three more months. That may be very realistic to be able to, to feel good and achieve that goal. She may, however, say, well, my daughter's four years old right now and I want to be here for her wedding. That's a Mm. a very long-term life goal, and that's going to require a very different discussion in in asking the doctor, would it be possible that I could actually be here then? Um, Mm. And she needs to ask the doctor to be honest. Uh, All of us need to be optimistic for as long as it's realistic. But we also need to understand what are some of her milestones that may be coming up in the coming months that we need to dovetail with a treatment plan. Let's say, for example, that there is a uh, a graduation. Um, It would not be a good idea for the oncology team to start her on a new therapy that carries a 95% probability of her having diarrhea and putting her on that new drug three days before that graduation. So Mm -hmm. she needs to have her milestone, short-term goals preserved Meaning that we need to work around them so that we do preserve them and don't derail them, but also um, understanding from her how does she define quality of life? Uh, we all define it differently, and we should not be attempting to define it on her behalf. We each have our own our our own description as to what mm-hmm. that is like.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly,
6: the treatments that she's going to be uh, receiving and considering. She needs to make it very clear that she does want to participate in the decision-making, that uh, if she can be on an oral medication instead of something that she needs to receive via IV every week, uh, that may be important to her so that she has more time with her family and less time in the infusion center. Um, Mm -hmm. How does she want to learn and understand the risks and benefits of specific treatment options as well? Some people want lots of detail. Tell me every single thing. Some people want statistics because that's the way they think. Um, Others uh, don't want that degree of information. They want to know perhaps what the most likely side effects are, and they want to know how are those side effects going to be hopefully effectively managed. Um, We need to uh, encourage patients to to speak up and say, so you tell me I'm going to have nausea, you tell me I'm probably going to have diarrhea, what are you going to do to help me diminish those side effects rather than expect me yeah. to just endure those side effects? I mean, this is
1: 2018. We have yes. ways of controlling side effects today. Yeah, yeah. I think all all really great tips, Lily. Um, appreciate that. Uh, I want to get to another area that sometimes makes a patient feel awkward. Um, and that is getting a second opinion. Some patients think, oh, maybe the doctor thinks I have a lack of faith or trust in them, or, you know, will this impact how the doctor's treating me? Or talk to us a little bit about second opinion. Should everyone get them? Is it appropriate to seek a second opinion at maybe another hospital, another city, another institution, and what are the benefits of that?
6: When someone's dealing with stage 4 breast cancer, I want them to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they have time to get a second opinion, Uh, too, Um, we're talking about her life. And uh, it's awfully important that uh, she feel confident in the treatment team taking care of her, working with her. She also needs to feel confident in the recommendations for the treatment options that that have been offered to her. Uh, Going to a uh, NCI-designated comprehensive cancer center, would be the ideal environment for getting a second opinion, because they'll have the whole breadth of what the, uh, what the options are, um, but uh, at a minimum to, to go and seek a second opinion. In telling her physicians and, uh, and other members of the treatment team that she wants to do this, she should not feel embarrassed. She should not feel like she's breaking some rule. As a matter of fact, um, the best thing she can do is to say, I'm planning to get a second opinion. Um, I'm sure that you support me um, in doing that. And that doctor's response should be, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I, I totally support you getting a second opinion. May even recommend uh, some large uh, facilities where uh, mm-hmm. where they know that there are uh, oncology specialists who specialize in stage 4 of breast cancer. Now, if that patient mm-hmm. is saying these things to their doctor and says, I'd like to get a second opinion, and that doctor says, Well, I don't know why, mm-hmm. or quite frankly, is sarcastic and saying, Well, good luck with that, mm-hmm. get away mm-hmm. from that
0: person. <laughs> mm-hmm. That yeah, person that's is not the right,
6: in your for Um, they've got their own insecurities and you just need to leave them insecure and go elsewhere (laughs)
1: with with people that are going to,
6: that are going to do right by you.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Because it really is a standard to go out and get that second opinion, especially with a complex diagnosis. Let's just quickly, I know it's a topic we could have a whole show dedicated to this topic, Lily, of clinical trials, but let's just take a minute or two as we, as we come up to our next break. Um, can you first of all, tell our listeners what is a clinical trial and, you know, is it something they should be asking for? Should they consider it? Um, I know one, one, one concern people think is, oh, am I going to get a placebo? Am I going to get a sugar pill, you know, in a, in a, in a trial? Um, I think another, uh, oftentimes folks also think, you know, are the cost of the trial going to be paid for? Is it is it m- maybe going to be better than a standard treatment I'm going to get? So just take a minute, Lily, to educate our listeners about clinical trials.
6: Well, I'll first tell you I am a big fan of clinical trials and even I seek out, Clinical trials to participate even today uh, as a Mm -hmm. cancer survivor and a long term cancer survivor. The intent of a clinical trial is to test an innovative way of delivering treatment. And in some cases, it actually may even be a diagnostic test, could be um, what the clinical trial is about. But in most cases for cancer, it usually is an innovative treatment that, based on the research done to date, has been proven to demonstrate that it is as good as standard of care or potentially even better than standard of care. The only way that we can improve the care for patients, develop new drugs, develop new uh, imaging uh, methods, uh, even new pathology tests to better understand the nature of the tumors, is through clinical trials. Uh, for example, sentinel node biopsy is one that many breast cancer Uh, patients would be familiar with, of uh, identifying the specific lymph node that if cancer were to travel from the breast elsewhere, it needs to go through what's called a sentinel node in order to get there. And if we go back 25 years ago, uh, we didn't have sentinel node biopsy capability, Mm -hmm. so the only way we could figure out if the cancer had spread to any lymph nodes was to take all the lymph nodes out under her arm. Um, that's very debilitating surgery, high mm-hmm. risk of lymphedema, and, uh, and g- g- really unfortunate if we then find out, oh, you don't have any cancer in them, yeah. that's wonderful, but now we've given you chronic lymphedema. That is an yeah. example of uh, a clinical trial that was done yeah. uh, that resulted in a wonderful change in, uh, uh, in that in that treatment, in that uh, clinical pathway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. uh, So
1: how do identify the node and then just remove that one node? Remove that. Yeah. um, Um, Lily, we're going to take. Uh, we're moving towards our break here. I know we've got. I think a lot more to cover on this subject. So um, let me let me move towards our break here, and then we can pick this up uh, after the break. A lot more to discuss with Lily Shockney from Hopkins. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer, and the Cancer Support Community is proud to create and bring you this important series on metastatic breast cancer, and appreciates Lily Oncology for providing the educational grant. Uh, to make this program possible. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, a lot more to talk about with Lily Shockney. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
3: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. At
4: Lily Oncology we know people living with metastatic breast cancer or mbc deserve more more can be done for the mothers daughters sisters wives and partners facing the unique challenges of this advanced disease and every moment counts while there has been progress made over the last few years in distinguishing mbc and bringing forward new treatment options there is still more to be done to truly support the women and men living with this disease every day so they can continue to be there for family and friends. Lilly Oncology is focused on raising more awareness through education, more research, and more dedicated solutions to help empower people living with this disease because together we know we can do more for MBC. This content is selected by the cancer support community and is funded in part by Eli Lilly and Company
5: Or call 617 733 5848.
0: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and
3: network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice america.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is part of our special series, Spotlight on metastatic breast cancer. I'm your host, Kim and We've been having a truly thoughtful and insightful conversation with Lily Shockney about selecting the treatment plan that is best for you uh, and your family. Lily, at the end of the last segment, we're really starting to dive in on the uh, subject of clinical trials, the importance of understanding trials, uh, maybe asking, is there a trial that's right for me? Is this something I should explore? And that these trials are really bringing the best next uh, you know, next best treatment option um, to the fore. Uh, one question we get a lot from patients, am I going to get a placebo on a on a cancer uh, treatment trial? I know that's a fear a lot of people. when they think about clinical trial, think about a, a, a placebo. Talk about that, Lily.
6: Yeah, so they're not going to be getting a placebo. They're going to be getting a real drug. Um, they may be in a study that compares a combination of drugs uh, to a different combination of drugs That would be the only time that one of those medicines might be a placebo, where they're getting cancer drug X plus a placebo versus cancer drug X and cancer drug Y. Um, It's also important to ask very early on uh, what types of clinical trials may I be a candidate for. The patient may be a candidate right from the start with with first-line therapy. Um, certainly, uh, the doctor will be discussing clinical trials as treatments progress and the treatments start to no longer work. Um, that is a, an opportunity where uh, physicians usually delve in a, into a deeper conversation about what types of clinical trials may she want to consider. Um, and if mm-hmm. the trial doesn't work for her personally, she mm-hmm. still is leaving it as part of her legacy, quite frankly, because mm-hmm. it's informing scientists Uh, What is and isn't going to work? uh, What will and will not benefit other women that come along behind
1: her in the future? So there's something really altruistic to participating in a trial beyond, beyond whether it's going to benefit me personally. There is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Lily, let's take a minute or two in our last segment here to talk about, you know, kind of the support system and resources that may be available to patients. We know, for example, patients more now more than ever are struggling with the finances. Uh, uh, of a cancer diagnosis. They're also struggling. We talked earlier about the challenges of decision-making, who can help them understand, you know, what kind of cancer they have and and what options are available to them. We're hearing more and more patients want information about nutrition. They want to learn about exercise. Talk about what what support resources are available for patients, whether it's maybe inside of their hospital or cancer center or or out in the community.
6: I hope that every patient uh, does have a navigator, Uh, to be able to uh, provide them patient education as well as psychosocial support and access to resources, as well as identifying any barriers that she may have. Uh, such as uh, transportation. She may not have transportation to get her appointments or get her treatments done. Uh, financial barriers is becoming huge because of large copayments and deductibles, and navigators are very savvy at being able to provide financial resources from advocacy organizations locally and regionally in order to help her with that. Um, it is the charge, though, however, of the treatment team to not just be discussing risks and benefits, but also cost out-of-pocket for the patient. Patients uh, do need to know what the expenses are going to be, and that is part of the decision-making um, as to whether or not they want to invest, if you will, in this treatment versus another treatment. Uh, it is not unusual today for um, uh, treatments to cost $10,000 a month um or more and that's a heck of a lot of money with uh, again with co-payments and, and deductibles. Um there are a wealth of resources available within most institutions including uh, nutrition, uh, cancer rehabilitation, uh psychotherapy, um even uh uh resources such as someone to watch your kids while you're getting your chemotherapy. Um there are advocacy organizations that can provide Transportation. that can even do uh, house cleaning services for you while you're receiving your chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And navigators are very well versed on these, and I would in particular ask uh, not do I have a nav- navigator, but instead who is my navigator?
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Um, Lily, we are getting towards the end of our show, so I want to just narrow down kind of tips, advice. Somebody's just been diagnosed with cancer um, let's say they're going in for their, you know, kind of first appointment with that doctor. What do you recommend that they bring w- with them? How do they prepare for that first appointment? What do they bring with them? Who do they bring with them to prepare and, and, and kind of stay organized, you know, throughout the throughout the duration?
6: So they need to bring someone with them who is going to be involved with their care at home. It could be their spouse, could be their sister, but someone that they're close to and someone that they feel very comfortable hearing this kind of confidential information uh, also being discussed. Ask that individual to be the scribe so that the patient isn't trying to write things down while also listening and processing information. I would put together a list of, of questions uh, looking at what type of, of um, breast cancer is this, where has it spread, tell me the, uh, the features of it and are these features good features or bad features and if they're bad, what can be done about them? If they're good, how does that benefit uh, me, um, oftentimes patients, the first question they'll ask is, "How how long am I going to live?" Rarely will a doctor say, "I think you're going to live X Y Z length of time." Um, however, yeah. it yeah. is a reasonable question to ask, uh, and to say, "You know, is this something that I would survive maybe a few months, or could I actually look at planning ahead for my life for several years?" That puts you in one in one quarter, in the other, and she certainly does have the right to yeah. know. Uh, that information. Uh, she also needs to ask the doctor. How do you go about communicating with me? Um, do you are mm-hmm. you of a style of, of telling me your opinion? I also want to tell you my opinion. Are you going to be open to that? Who else is on my team? Is there a palliative care doctor on my team for symptom management? Is there a social worker to help me if I'm having insurance issues, so that she knows exactly who all is going to be involved in her care, including people that she may never meet. They may be working behind the scenes um, on her behalf. And she definitely wants to sit down with whoever's going to function as her patient advocate, whether that be a navigator, another oncology nurse or someone else after that visit, after the doctor has left the room and, uh, and say, can you recap for me everything that's just been told me so that I'm clear on it? I also would recommend, with her cell phone, putting the recorder on and saying, I want to record this uh, because I know I'm feeling overwhelmed. I want to make sure that when I go home I can listen to everything that was said.
1: Mm-hmm. And just very quickly, uh, Lily, because we are almost out of time, I, I, I want you to reinforce you mentioned earlier that the patient should share with the doctor important milestones, uh, things coming up. I've got an important wedding coming up, an anniversary, a graduation, a grandchild um, being born. So you feel like the patient really should bring those things to the doctor's attention so that they can learn what's important to them and what the timeline and milestones look like?
6: Absolutely, because she is far more than her pathology, we know that he may be excellent at determining treatment and and, and helping her with treatment decision making, but he also needs to know that she has a life, and we want her to continue that life. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, uh, great advice, Lily. It's um, been such a pleasure uh, having you on the show today. You really are a foremost um, expert on this topic, and uh, through both your personal and your uh, and professional uh, experience, and so highly. Uh, regarded in the field and and a good friend of of the cancer support community. So we appreciate you coming on today to share your knowledge uh, and wisdom. Um, I I always seem to have more questions than time uh, on this show, but I think that's especially true uh, with you and the wealth of of knowledge and expertise uh, that you bring. So I do appreciate you, Lily Shockney, for being on the show uh, with us today. Um, All of us at the cancer support community are proud to create and bring you this important series on metastatic breast cancer. We're grateful to Lily Oncology for providing the educational grant to allow us to do so. Uh, I want to remind folks at the Cancer Support Community, we have a host of free uh, resources available to you, our wonderful centers around the country, support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org or call us at 888-793-9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tiboldo. Until next time, be well.